I'm Bruce. And I'm Butta. And this is Rolling, Rolling in the Dark. <laughs> so this week, we are so lucky to have a couple special guests in the building. Yes, one of them cannot hear us and the other one is asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the very precious Justy here, about his husband. Yes. And then also our good friend Bird's puppy. We're watching him. Mr. Kona. And he, Mr. Kona. He is the coolest little puppy I've ever been in my life. So good and handsome. And he's just napping away with Justy. Yes. It's the best. Yeah. yeah. Bird's son said that his name is, uh, it's not Kona, it's Coney the Ice Cream. I like it. So that's his actual name now. Oh, Coney. Okay. Coney the it. Ice Cream. Not Coney. I like it. Coney the Ice Cream. Coney the Ice Cream. Yes. I'm going to get him a shirt. <laughs> get him a name tag. I'm going to get him a name tag that literally Update says that. Tag. And it'll be an ice cream cone. But he is one of the cutest little puppies I've ever seen. He's so and good we're handsome. so happy to welcome him into our beautiful little family. I know. And he's being so quiet. And so is Jesse. They're both such yes. good boys. Because good, the goodest boys. The goodest boys. And we will take them to eat. <laughs> we'll feed them if well, they're good. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so you're just telling me about, what is it, was the shooter? The shooter, and I believe it was Michigan, mm-hmm. his mother just got charged with involuntary manslaughter due to her being a negligent parent uh-huh. in buying her son the gun that he used so to go shoot the school. And he was what, you said he was 15? He was 15 at the time. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I think it's about time parents be yeah. held accountable. Well, and it's like the first time in like, I don't know, in history, I guess, uh-huh. that a parent is actually being held accountable Yeah, for a for, school shooting for right. not paying attention to the signs. And they were saying that, I guess, the mother is so caught up in her own hobbies and herself, mm-hmm. and apparently she was having an affair, that she didn't pay attention oh, to the signs that her son was showing. And then for uh-huh. their 15th, for his 15th birthday, they bought him a pistol. Or a semi-automatic something insane. like, and People then they like, didn't. I guess they didn't store it properly uh-huh, too, so they're course. getting in trouble for that. So the mom just got convicted of it, mm-hmm. and the dad's going to trial pretty soon. That's wild. So yeah. both the parents are going to be possibly going down for it. Oh, well, I believe if they found her guilty, they're definitely going to find him guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, four people who actually got hurt. I don't know how many people actually died, but I know that he did. It was a lot. Yeah. I mean, if you have a firearm in your house, yeah. like, I feel like everybody should know. Like, if you have a gun, if you own a gun. Yeah. It's your responsibility well, yeah. so, like, as we, an adult to, so like... So, we have one. Uh-huh. And it's literally locked in, like, five boxes. Well, you just have to be responsible. Yeah. Especially, like, when you have a kid in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, like I said, we have one. It's locked in, like, a box with, like, some very complicated lock. Uh-huh. Then after you do the complicated lock, you have to unlock it with a key. And then even on top of that, you still have to reach it all the way up in the attic. So sure. it's just like, it, it's not hard to have gun safety in your house. So yeah. I just don't understand why people don't you just do need, it. You just need to do it. Yeah, you That's need it. to, especially well, with just, kids in the house. Uh, and I mean, in this country, people are so nonchalant about having guns in the house, yeah. guns all over the place that it's like they forget maybe. Yeah. I really do. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not really pro-gun and i'm not really like not pro-gun it's just just pro like safety smart yeah if you have like a dangerous weapon in your house exactly like then yeah 
take care of it, contain yeah. it, make sure that it's not going to do any harm. Yeah. You know, just like if you have a dangerous dog in your house, you're not going to yeah. like just let it loose on the neighborhood. You'll exactly. muzzle him you and gotta, like, you take, you take care, care of it. Of it. Yeah. I mean, it's deadly. weird to me holding, yeah, holding a, something that could kill someone. Yeah. It's a like, deadly it's weapon. like, I don't know. But then again, like sometimes you can hold peanuts and those can kill people too. So you're so kinda, right. I'm it's weird. I'm never going to look same. at peanuts. I mean, I can't eat a walnut. I might die. Like, Right? Yeah, I almost did. That's oh <laughs> right, or pistachio. Yeah, or any whatever. type of. Well, I can eat peanuts, though, which is weird. Right. Well, because so. they're not really. It's related. tree nuts. Yeah, tree nuts, I. You can't do Can't tree do tree nuts. But okay. apparently, almonds are okay, so I don't really know. Are those ground nuts? I don't know. Are they bush nuts? Bush nuts. <laughs> but yeah, so that. Um, but that, that's some big news that happened in true crime because, um, mm-hmm. like I said, it's the first time that a parent is actually being held responsible well, I hope for it's a, a wake-up call for yeah. all these people who have kids in the house who are reckless with well, their speci- firearms. Well, especially because, like, most of the school shootings, you hear them and they're like, he showed so many signs before, right. but like nobody paid attention to them. It's and it's the like same concoction. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, he was the outcast. This yeah. and that. He, oh, there were guns at the house that readily yeah. available. Exactly. That he knew where they were. Knows how to or knew them, or knew somebody who had a gun. Like, it's always it's, the same. It's always the same story, story every so why single can't time. We, like, learn and be better. Yeah. So I especially think it's good. with how many have happened in the last like couple years. Right. It's it's insane. It's unheard of. Like, come be- on, come before, on, people. Like when you heard about school shooting, it was like, oh my God, right, that's like Columbine, insane. It was yeah, like that. That was insane. Yeah. It just turned the whole country and upside now, down. And now it's like, it's like every it's like Wednesday it's, news, yeah, whatever. Every other day there's a shooting happening. It's in just America, like, what the know. heck? Well, and it's, that's just, that's specific to this country. Yes. You know, the, yeah. around the world, it's not an issue. No, for some that's reason here. here. Yeah. Because it's just, of how many guns there are yeah. and how reckless people are. So hopefully this will yeah be a kick in the pants for folks to... Be step it up careful. a little bit step yeah and be better yeah if you can't take care of your gun get rid of your gun yeah and we'll also pay attention to your children and the signs that they're giving Absolutely. and stuff you know but in other news in other news <laughs> um i don't know if you guys watched the grammys i watched miley cyrus at the Grammys only. <laughs> she looked great. She did. Oh my god, her hair, her hair was insane. Every like Dolly inspired. It was very drag. I loved it. <laughs> she, and she was like dancing. And yes, and she had a great time. And she added that is an ad lib where she, where she was singing her song. And she's like, I, I just want a Grammy. Grammy. It and she danced. So cute. It was great. I saw an interview where she, they were like, Why did you want to perform at the Grammys? And she was like, I thought about that. I think the only reason I want to perform is so that the next day I can watch a video of me performing. True right. Sagittarius <laughs> energy right there. Oh, is she a Sagittarius? I believe she's a Sagittarius, oh, yes. Oh, look at that. Um, so you understand. Yeah. And there's some other little drama about the Grammys. I don't oh. know if everybody... there's. It's a very split uh, argument, though. Oh, controversial. So I guess Taylor Swift won Album of the Year, surprise, surprise, which a lot of people didn't agree with. Uh-huh. Um, and she brought up Lana Del Rey onto the stage and lana had just lost Lost, yes and this would have been this i don't know how many categories she was actually nominated for but this was the one everybody's like she's got in the bag this would have been her first grammy Uh, and she just lost taylor swift so taylor was like come on lana this is for us we'll split it well and she and she did mention her in her acceptance speech but when you see her dragging Uh, lana and i mean dragging uh, lana up onto the stage she goes and stands in a this 
I don't think, I think Taylor just was like trying to be a girl's girl and grab sure. her and be like, come on, like this, we're going to celebrate this together. She was trying but to have like, have you seen the like Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Megan McCarthy when they're yes, all up for yes. like an Emmy or whatever and yes. they all stay, go up together? Yeah. It, and it, She's trying and, to have that And moment. honestly, I see in her, like, I see where she was trying to be good and stuff but like that. But at the same time, Lana's been making music for how long? And her not yeah. getting a Grammy and then and losing like, it to oh. Taylor and then her bringing and her up on stage. after a long time of like not making yeah. music. Yeah. It's just, you can see on Lana's face that she is upset. And it's like, why would you, like, it's almost like rubbing it in her face. She did say something about like, you know, Lana, like if it wasn't for you, a lot of these people wouldn't have music careers and da, 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 da. And yeah, I get that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, I mean, maybe it's just, it's almost like a pity thing, right? It's like just just let it go. Just, just say thank you for the award. Yeah. This is a great honor. Yeah. Go sit your ass down. Yeah, you don't need to like. Yeah, it's like it puts a spotlight on Lana now. Yeah, just and lost. and not only that, like you could see it when they announced that Taylor won. She was like, <gasps> you could see it on her face that she was uh, upset. Yeah, probably devastated. Yes, and as she should be because this would have been her first Grammy. And she got dragged on stage. Yep, and Ugh. for millions to see. But then so, there's other people who are like. Taylor was just being a good person, blah, blah, blah. But then there's the other argument like, dude, she literally, that was so uncalled for. You did not need to do that. Mm -hmm. Just accept your award and go home and then go talk to Lana about it later. I mean, that's a lot coming from you. You are a self-proclaimed Swifty, out and proud. I am. I am a Swifty by music, though. I I don't agree with a lot of the stuff she does. Watch out, Swifties. Yeah, I know. I like her music, though. And if, like, I had the vote for her, I would. But when it comes down to like stuff like this, it's kind of like, you know, I feel like people put her too high up on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in her head, she thinks she can do no wrong. She's America's sweetheart. She's taking that to the dome. And I don't. I mean, shoot, if I was Taylor Swift, I'd probably also feel the same way. I would too. But if you really want to talk about best album of the year, I feel like SZA should have just took it. But she took she took home six, though. So I'm I'm happy for her. Yeah, very no, happy awesome. for her, but she's a a rare individual. Very rare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, are you ready to hop into this? Yeah. Okay. So, Butta does not know the case that I'm covering, but it's semi-local. Semi. Okay. So it happened in the L.A. area. Okay. Well, San Bernardino County. We need to do a South African case because I know we have like one or two South African <laughs> listeners. We got gotcha. you. We Don't got worry. you. We're going to find one. We're always watching you on our um, And you should definitely send analytics. us a suggestion. Yeah. So we can cover one. Yeah, tell we us. We got to represent you guys. You got to say, we. this is me. I'm the South African listener and <laughs> we want to shout you out. Yes. Because that's like the, that's like real big that somebody that far is listening to us. So hello. It means a lot to us. Hi. All right. So please, please, please check our show notes for the full list of trigger warnings there's going to be a lot in this one it's a little on the gory side so heads up to all if you're not into that you know you might want to skip tune in no next harm week. done tune yeah. in next week all right so let's hop into it all right where are you taking us so on sunday june 5th 1983 bill hughes drove to his neighbor's home to pick up his 11 year old son from a sleepover his son was supposed to be home earlier earlier in time for church but he never showed up which was not like him when he got there no one answered the door and the family car was missing so he went around to the back of the house and peeked in through their sliding glass window at first he saw what he thought was some kind of sick prank but unfortunately it wasn't 
Uh-oh. What he saw there were the bodies of his neighbors, Doug and Peggy Ryan, their daughter, Jessica, as well as his son, Chris. The Ryan's son, Josh, was there, but by some miracle, he was still alive, but barely. Oh, my God. So this case is an interesting one because it's very controversial as to who got accused of it and who was sentenced for it. Okay. Um, So we're going to get into it. And I just want to acknowledge everybody is entitled to their different opinions and feelings. And we would love to hear everybody's feedback. But I'm just going to try to give the facts as they are without any bias. So that you can make your own opinion. Yeah. I'll be the bias part over here. Thank you. There you go. That's right. So that you specifically. <laughs> that is why I'm here. That's right. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about the victims. So Peggy Ryan, the mom, she was born Peggy Ann Howell. She was a huge animal lover, especially towards horses. She got her first of many horses that she would own in her lifetime when she was only 12 years old. Peggy was always strong and athletic, and she loved to train and enter horses into competitions. She aspired to be a vet, but her mom dissuaded her, didn't think it was a good idea, and encouraged her to become a chiropractor like she was. So she would go on to work for her mom in her clinic in Santa Ana, California, before she eventually opened up her own clinic. In 1970, Peggy met Doug Ryan at an alumni reunion at Palmer, and not too much later, the two were married. Doug was a former Marine from the Midwest, and eventually the newlyweds decided to open up their own practice together in Olympia, Washington. Oh, okay. Which actually, Blue and I, before we moved here to Ventura, we were going to move to Olympia. Oh, really? Yeah, we visited there. We stayed there for a week. We loved it. The is only it reason, uh, we part didn't... of Washington, like, where it's super rainy, or is that all yeah. Washington? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it is all Washington. Oh, okay. I know Southern Oregon is not, like, super rainy. It's yeah. It's like Northern California. Oh, okay. But, no, yeah, it's very rainy. Yeah. But we decided not to because my mom's here. Fate brought us here. Yes. All right, it's always so... Fate. <laughs> it's always foot. <laughs> always fate. <laughs> it's always foot. Yes, foot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so in 1972, Peggy gave birth to her first child, Jessica. Their expenses were really tight because... They have a new baby. Yeah. And Peggy has two horses. Those are expensive. Horses are very expensive. Very expensive to my board. Aunt, my feed. aunt has like a, well, she did have like a ranch mm-hmm. of horses and she didn't have any kids though. So that's probably why she had horses, but yeah. they're very expensive. Extremely expensive. Especially like just housing them and having them yeah. on your land mm-hmm. alone is just, you know, college tuition right there. Like. For real. It's it's insane how much it costs to have a horse. Yeah, so expenses were really tight with them, and um, their business wasn't doing that well. They were both chiropractors, but it never really boomed. Olympia okay. is a really small town, so it's not hugely economic Okay, there. You know, like, unless you're going into an industry that's already there, yeah, you might have a hard time, and they did, and especially yeah. with two horses, a brand new baby. So they decided to move back to Santa Ana and rejoin Peggy's mom's very established established thriving, successful practice. Peggy's mom even lent them enough money to put a down payment on a home that was large enough to accommodate Peggy's now five horses. Five horses. She loved horses. Oh my God. But who did not love the horses? All of their neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. (laughs) Yeah. So the neighbors would literally constantly complain about the family and all these horses being kept in their backyard and call like the city on them Did they live like on a decent size they lived on a decent size land i think probably like the smell they yeah. need a lot of room yeah so the neighbors were so they must be pretty the neighbors happy. must have been pretty close the neighbors i yeah. think were pretty close Ugh. so being sick of the complaints 
Peggy's mom, Mary, went ahead and bought them a different house in okay. Chino Hills. So they sold the house okay. and bought another house in Chino Hills, which was a hilltop ranch. It was Perfect. Like five acres of property directly above Mary's house. And it came with like a gorgeous barn and a huge riding ring. This was like a house built, built for, for somebody to horse have horses. Owners. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. So they were like awesome, perfect. It was a three-bed, two-bath house. It was in a secluded area of Chino Hills. And so in 1975, Doug, Peggy, their two-year-old daughter, Jessica, moved into the house. And Peggy was pregnant with their son-to-be, Josh. Okay. Yeah. So everything was like looking up. Yeah. And they, got, up and they up. got a better house. Right. They got having They've no got kids. Work. Now they they're working horses. in an established place. Yeah. yeah their family's growing. Everything's going great. Everything's going great. It's usually when it goes wrong. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean we are talking about it yes i know so. <laughs> but usually that's like where it happens like in the david cam case like they were like oh yeah. they bought a beautiful house they mm-hmm. have their kids he came back from all those affairs <laughs> and now here we are and boom and then Splat. stuff happens yeah. okay so peggy had a plan to be a horse breeder and to sell the baby horses to make a lot of money because wow, really you can horses. make a lot of money selling horses oh yes you can those horses they sell for good moolah well and she was specifically into arabian horses oh like show horses oh. so they sell for a lot of moolah so Ooh. she was like not she was never super into chiropractic stuff she was always an animal lover like i she said she was wanted just to be a like vet. horses she was like i just love horses so yeah. if i can make horses my career and she was so she was trying to do that which would be great like you know uh being in a career that you actually yeah. have an interest in about, you'll never you work love- a day in your life you know yeah or you'll hate your hobby <laughs> yeah i've heard that too <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah okay so taking um, the fun out of it <laughs> exactly so the house when they moved in wasn't in the best condition but it was but it was in a community of horse breeders like, oh okay. literally they were in a community of arabian horse breeders and the ryan's stables soon had more than a dozen white arabian show horses i don't horses. know how i would feel about that with a bunch of breeders around what do you mean wouldn't you be like in competition with them no, I think it was just an area like there was, they just really supported if each they're, other. Because if, if they're all breeding the same type of horse. I don't know. It was like they really embraced each other. Okay. Well, that's, supported well, that one is, another. that's at least good that there was no like crazy rivalry or anything. Because no, it didn't seem like it at all. So a few years go by, they settled into the community. And when Jessica was 10 and Josh was eight, Josh became very good friends with his neighbor, 11 year old Chris Hughes. Chris and Josh had gone trick or treating together and they were like just buddies they're just buddies they're just real buddies real nice and close they neighborhood buddies Mm -hmm. so chris was a little bit older and he had lots of friends he was on the swim team and he had even a whole trophy room full of his swim trophies he was really really good cool he was a very talented kid he was a big fan of star wars and on this saturday he begged his mom to stay the night at josh's house okay as the kids will yes yes literally had that happen to me last night there you go so (laughs) exactly so chris's mom agreed but she told him to remember that he needed to be home in time for church in the morning because god first god first that's right it was a saturday night you got to be home in time for church on sunday the lord's day that's right so chris's mom watched the two boys ride away on their bikes toward the ryan's home and that evening, the Ryans all attended a potluck dinner with about 100 other equestrian enthusiasts in the community. So they, it was like a big potluck party with all the horse lovers. Okay. And actually, that night at the party, another boy, Jason, pleaded with his parents to allow him to stay the night as well at the Ryans' home for, to join the sleepover. Yeah. But he wasn't allowed to because their grandmother, uh, because his grandmother was in town visiting. Ah. So he... 
got real lucky feet. on that one. Feet. Foot. Feet and foot. The foot faith. <laughs> <laughs> so around 9.30 p.m., the Ryans and Chris returned to their home, and after a while, the children went to sleep. The boys were sleeping in sleeping bags on the floor in Josh's room, and Jessica was in her room. Doug watched a little bit of TV before joining his wife in bed, probably around 11 p.m. It's just a normal night. Normal night. Yep. Normal sleepover. Mm-hmm. Nothing to be alarmed about. Yep. Just going to bed. But the next morning, Chris's mother, Marianne Hughes, became concerned because Chris never came home in time for church, and he was always really good about that. Yeah. So she called the house a few times, but nobody was answering. She kept getting busy signals. Oh, my God. And shortly after 9 a.m., she decided, all right, I'm going to just walk over there and check it out myself or drive over there and check it out myself. Yeah. So she got to the house. She noticed that their horse barn was still closed. So it looked like nobody went out to tend to the horses. Nobody fed them. Which is probably unusual. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And she knows. You know, yeah. She's in the community. So she's like, oh, that's weird. She's like, like uh, they should have been out They already. have like 12 yeah. horses and they're all still stuck in their barn at 9 a.m. Yeah. She said she only saw the Ryan's truck at the house, but they also had a station wagon, which was missing. So she was like, oh, okay, maybe they, maybe they went somewhere? to breakfast yeah. or something. She knocked on the door a few times, but there was no answer. So she went back home. She didn't want to assume the worst. So she waited a few hours, but then once it hit 11.30 a.m., she was like, nope, we need to go do something. So she got her husband, Bill, Mr. Hughes, and sent him to the Ryan home to investigate further. Okay. And this is when he found the bodies. So he looked inside the glass door, and he saw the body of his son, as I mentioned before. Yes. He also saw the bodies of Doug, Peggy, and he saw Josh lying on the floor. He tried to get into the sliding glass door, but he just, like, couldn't get into it. Okay. And it was just because it it wasn't locked or anything? It It was was actually, it was unlocked. He was just so flustered. He was pulling it in the wrong direction. Oh, I So he couldn't figure it out. He was so, obviously. I mean, I get it. I don't. Beside himself, upset. You wouldn't be able to fully think to be like, "Mm." It's almost like that, what is it, when uh, the push and pull. On the the doors. Like, literally, like, sometimes when I've done that, like, I get so frustrated with it because I'm trying to pull it and it says, push well, and i'm sure in a normal you state know? of mind he would have just thought like oh let me just pull the other way yeah but he but saw he his just son's saw. Yeah. dead body yeah. and then the two dead bodies of his neighbors yeah. and josh who also looked like he's like he probably can't think yeah. right now he's just panic mode. he's like get in the house that's yeah. what i need to do yeah but he's he's looking in and he sees josh move so he starts yeah. like calling at josh like hey josh like get up let me in but he would later learn that josh sustained way too many injuries to get oh, up no. to speak any of that he goes around to the other door around the side of the house to the kitchen to kick it in. In the kitchen, there are the family's two dogs and three kittens, all still alive. Ooh. So they were the unharmed. Babies. The babies. The babies untouched. Uh, Mr. Hughes goes straight to the master bedroom, and in the doorway there is where he found Jessica. So the sliding doors in the back, that's what was it, that led to the bedroom. Okay. So he saw everything, all the bodies were there in the bedroom. Oh, so that's why he went straight to the master bedroom because okay. he wanted to go check him out and help. Yeah. So first he found Jessica in the doorway. Okay, so I just do want to give a quick trigger warning because it's about to get pretty gory. So if you are feeling a little sensitive at the moment, feel free yes. to skip ahead a little bit, but I am going to get into all of the injuries. Okay, so first he finds Jessica. She was completely covered in blood and lacerations. He reached down to help her, but when he touched her, he realized immediately she was already dead. Rigor mortis had said Yeah. It. She was gone. She was probably cold. She's probably cold yeah. and stiff. Yeah. He Ooh. called into the bedroom to ask Josh what happened, and Josh 
you could see Josh was moving his mouth trying to speak, but he, mm -hmm. he couldn't. Words yeah. weren't coming out. He went to his son, Chris, but he found that he was in the same state as Jessica. Oh, my God. What an awful thing to walk into. Like oh, horrid. You let your kid go spend a night at someone's oh, house. My God. I mean, just like nightmare. And you already know, like, guilt is in the head already. Mm -hmm. Like, if I would have just said no, exactly. you didn't spend a night. Like, ugh. Uh, I mean, you just have to forgive yourself because yeah. that would haunt you well, for Well, no, life. and it's not It's not, it's your, not your fault, fault. but you're, you're in your head, you're going to be like, mm, You can't help yeah. it. Yeah. You can't help those thoughts. Yeah. For sure. Ugh, I can't even imagine. I couldn't imagine walking into that. I, I wouldn't know. I would be beside myself. I wouldn't know. I, I know. just, thinking about it, I'm like, what would I do? So, um... Chris was covered in blood. He had sustained multiple head injuries and rigor mortis had also set in with him. And Mr. Hughes also found that both Peggy and Doug were dead. He grabbed the landline to call the police, but the phone's line had been cut. He, oh he then ran, ran next door to use the neighbor's phone to call the police and then ran home to tell his wife what happened. The police, several, several paramedics and firefighters arrived on the scene and Doug, Peggy, Chris, and Jessica were all pronounced dead. Paramedics sought a Josh right away, who was found lying on his side. His throat was sliced from ear to ear, which is why he couldn't talk. His eyes were open, but he was unable to speak or move. Josh was flown by helicopter to a hospital, and the reason he didn't bleed out was because he kept his hand wrapped around his throat to oh. stop the bleeding, which wow. is really, I mean, he was only eight years yeah. old. That was very intuitive yeah, and smart of him. He saved his life. Not only that, I wouldn't even know if I would be like, you know. Or you put your hands on, yeah. a, on a wound like that. Yeah. It must have hurt so bad. Yes. But it was just literally just life It was saving. probably just instinct and he was just like, yeah. yep, I'm going to stay here. Exactly. Well, also, it sounds like he was almost basically decapitated. So he was probably trying to be like, oh, I'm going to hold on to my head. Just make sure just it doesn't make sure fall it doesn't off. off. Yeah. yeah, for real. So somehow Josh was still able to hold up eight fingers when paramedics asked him how old he was. So he was coherent. Yeah, so he was hearing everything that everybody was saying and everything for yes. the most part. Yeah. yeah, so as the surgeons began to assess Josh, they found that he had stab wounds in his back that fractured three of his ribs and punctured a lung. And the wound to his head had fractured his skull, and his ear was almost cut off. How is he still alive? I have no idea. Plus, he had a fractured collarbone. Oh, my gosh. So Mary, the grandmother, she just sat with him at the hospital the whole time, waiting for him to wake up. Uh, and Josh, when he woke up, was devastated to learn that he was the sole survivor. Right away, he's, he was set, even at eight years old, he said, I wish I was dead. I want to be with them. Oh, my God. He felt guilty immediately. It's the survivor's guilt. Yes, yeah. exactly. So right away, police talked to Josh to find out what happened that night yeah. because he was... He was, the, he was there. He was there. Yeah. He was the only witness. Yeah. Josh couldn't speak. So what they did was they brought in a social worker and they brought him a large chart and he would point to answers on the chart to answer their questions. Yeah. Um, so he was interviewed and the social worker asked Josh how many people were there. Josh pointed to the number three. He also asked if they were male. Josh pointed to yes. When he asked if the intruders were black... Josh pointed to no. He pointed to yes when asked if the men were white. Mm. Josh also communicated that he had seen the men before. Oh. So during two more interviews done by the police within the next 24 hours after this had happened, he communicated yes with the police by squeezing the officer's hand and no by not squeezing it. Yeah. So in this case, the officer said that Josh in the first interview indicated that he did not know the intruders, oh. but that it still was three white men. And then in the second interview, um, the officer says that now the three men were possibly Hispanic, 
and that they, they attacked the family between 4 and 5 a.m. that morning. And he added that Josh said the three Hispanic males were between 18 and 20 years old, possibly driving a Chevy Impala, and had been at the Ryan's house the day before. And they got all this from like a squeeze of the hand? Mm-hmm. Wow. Just yes or no questions. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the coroner's initial determination was that there were multiple assailants because three w- different weapons had been used. Oh. They determined that a hatchet, an ice pick, and a knife had all been used to inflict Ooh, all of the wounds. Ice pick. Oh. Yeah. It was very clear that the parents were attacked first, and probably because of the commotion and screaming, the kids all ran into the parents' room where they were found. So do you, so does it sound like it was more targeted towards the parents than it was the kids, and the kids just kind of walked in and right. at the wrong time? Yeah. So it's mm. most likely the intruder were trying to like disable the parents. Yeah. So they could do whatever, you know, and then yeah. the kids all ran in. So it was just like, well, we got to we gotta do something with them. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who knows? So the dad, Doug Ryan, suffered at least 37 separate wounds. Oh, my God. Some inflicted by an axe or hatchet. Some of the wounds to his skull indicated that his skull was still when the blows were delivered. So it was like after he was already down. Yeah. They appeared to have been administered in rapid succession within a second or two as Mr. Ryan was kneeling by the side of the bed. Oh, my gosh. One wound was consistent with being struck by the blunt side of a hatchet or axe, causing a depressed skull fracture where the bone was pushed into his head. And that's real personal. Yes. It, yes. It's not a gun. It's not fast. and You're literally... It's gory. Yes. And it's brutal. Yes. Doug Ryan's right middle finger was amputated by a chopping blow. His severed finger was found on the floor inside the closet. Another chop wound cut clear through the bone of his right forearm. A stab penetrated his sternum, entering his heart, and another punctured his lung. There were slicing injuries to the side of his cheek, and before he died, Mr. Ryan was stabbed on the left side of his neck, severing his carotid artery and cutting his trachea. That is... Just... brutal it's gruesome too and overkill and just absolutely gruesome that just it's just so much in one on one person yeah it's oh my gosh 37 yeah when you think about like i don't know i've said this before but like to pull your hand back and put it down 37 37 times times. that's a lot yeah that is a lot Mm -hmm. and that's just one they found obvious signs of defensive wounds from, like, obviously he, his finger was cut off. Yeah. He had wounds on his arms. So he must have been surprised in the middle of the night um, and was trying to defend himself. Yeah. Peggy Ryan suffered 32 separate identified wounds. These wounds were primarily on her head, chest, and neck area. A series of three chopping wounds to the right side of her head were consistent with having been administered while she was standing. So she most likely was also defending herself. Yeah. She also had a defensive wound on her right hand. Jessica, though, sustained the most wounds with 46 separate identified wounds. Oh, my God. How old was she? She was 10. 10? She was 10. Chris was the oldest at 11. Jessica was 10. And uh, Josh was 8. Okay. So she had a lot of wounds to her right arm and chest, also defensive wounds, most likely. And these were a combination of chopping, stabbing, or incision wounds, as well as a stab wound to her neck, which would have killed her in a matter of a few minutes. So, like, why? why? Exactly. Why? Why? It's just uh, unbelievably brutal. Like, if your motive was to go in and just kill the family... You didn't need to do all that. You didn't need to do all that. You didn't need to do all that. You didn't need to do any 
of that. Why the overkill? It makes it feel like it's super personal. Right. I know. It does make it feel personal. Yeah. Or just like this person was completely full of rage yeah. and needed to take it out on something On something. Or it sounds like crackhead energy. That's what it sounds like. It, it does sound like crackhead energy. It does. It's a very much overkill. Very... Yeah. Unnes- like, very unnecessary extremely, extremely yeah. unnecessary it's, just brutal and that's where the personal part of it kind of comes in it seems like so something sort of interesting is jessica also had a group of carving injuries on her chest so most likely after jessica had stopped bleeding the assailant or assailants went in and carved things into her chest oh my gosh christopher hughes the neighbor who was over for a sleepover suffered 25 separate wounds to his right wrist that went through the bone of his forearm, almost severing his hand from his wrist. He also suffered a chopping injury to his right hand, and the injuries were consistent with defensive wounds, of course. Yes, everybody was going to be defensive. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, I, well, if the, when the hands and arms are being attacked, yeah. that is a clear indicator that they're trying to defend themselves. Yes. The doctor who performed the autopsies believed that the injuries could have been inflicted quickly within one minute for each of the victims. So it was just like a bing, bang, boom, brutal, quick attacks. Yeah. He suspected that each victim died within minutes of being attacked. That's how fast it was. Yeah. On five <laughs> separate people. Yes. And it, it wasn't just, just one person. Yeah. Yeah. So the same day the bodies were discovered, a neighbor found a bloody hatchet down the street from the house. And the family station wagon, like I said before, was still missing. Mm. Um, but a, a neighbor had told police that they had seen three men driving to and from the Ryan's home on Saturday afternoon. Oh, matches the description. Mm-hmm. So three weeks after the killings, also, Josh was released from the hospital. Okay. And he was sent off to the East Coast where he was going to stay with his uncle. Okay. But later, uh, custody of Josh would be granted to his grandmother. So he okay. came back. So he came back to Gino and uh, stayed with his grandma. <laughs> so question was there any signs of robbery or was it just there a was okay there was okay there was the station wagon was gone well so other than that stolen, other than that and though it, and i believe money was missing okay okay so there were multiple loaded weapons in the ryan's master bedroom that had never been touched during the attacks okay so clearly they were surprised probably yeah. woken up and didn't have time to react and defend themselves yeah that's the only thing when it comes to like guns being locked up and stuff like if something were to happen yeah you have to go through like an escape the, room exactly to get to your weapon well, and which i in, get this but, was in the 80s yeah. you know nowadays a lot of people have ring cameras and things where yeah. you can kind of get alerted that somebody's on your property or that an invasion yeah. is happening you might have more time to prepare to, like, yourself get that if stuff. you if you have sort of the technology there yeah but at this time they didn't yeah which may, it makes sense but it's just one thing that always comes to my head whenever I think about people having firearms and storing them properly is and stuff. It's like, how are you going to get that in when, a case of an emergency? Yeah, when something, right. say someone broke into the house. Given that there were five people attacked, it would be a very difficult task for a single person. Yes, to well, do, yes, I will yeah. say. Well, so, especially two adults and kids. Yeah, I mean, two adults and three kids. Yeah, and. The adults, I mean, Doug was a tall, he was out, He was an ex-Marine. Yeah. He was a fit guy. Exactly. And his wife, Peggy, was also really fit and active. Yeah. Like, these are two strong adult people. Yeah, she a horse girl. She's a horse girl. She a horse girl. She knows girl. how to handle a horse. Yes. She can handle She can anything. handle herself. Yes. Like. So that is, that's a heavy task for yeah. a single person to do. Maybe just put that in the back of your mind. Okay. It's in the back. So investigators, though, they begin looking for three men who had recently escaped from the nearby California Institute for Men, a prison. Okay. 
The three prisoners were Albero Nori, Michael Martinez, and David Troutman. Though there were no physical links to the murders, police decided to investigate them since they sort of fit the description of the three men who were possibly white or Hispanic that had just happened to a couple days earlier escape from the prison that was mm-hmm. nearby. Suspicious. Yeah, Lucas. And fits a motive. Fits it. So they also searched a vacant house, which was only 125 yards from the Ryan house. Okay. 125 yards might sound like a lot. It's not. But it's not. No. This was like, you know, like I said, horse community. Yeah. They had big properties. Mm -hmm. This was the next door neighbor. Yeah. It was not that far. Yeah. You could see the house. Like from one house, you could see the other house. Yeah. It it was like maybe a a football field. Okay. About. Okay. So a football field and a patch of grass. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so this house was used normally as a rental home, but at the time it was unoccupied. Nobody was renting it. Okay. The San Bernardino Sheriff, Lloyd Titwell, said that they found clothing, blood, and other evidence inside the vacant home, which indicated that whoever was squatting there was also involved in the murders. Mm-hmm. They collected fingerprints from the vacant house, and the day after the Ryans were found, one of the escaped convicts, Albero Nori, was located 40 miles away, and he was cleared of any involvement. Oh. Don't know why, but he was. So that was one of them. So he was 40 he, miles away he was 40 from miles away the house. From Chino, and he had an alibi. So okay. they cleared him. And it wasn't his fingerprints. Okay. They just happened to find him because they were looking for these three guys. Yeah. And they found one, and okay. they cleared him. They were okay. like, okay, he's not involved. So let's find the other two. But back to jail. Back to jail. Back to jail. <laughs> Probably he because he, he escaped. escaped. <laughs> so either way, he's gone. Exactly. But not connected to these murders. Yeah. On Tuesday, June 7th, so just a couple days later, the prints found at the vacant home were matched to a convicted burglar named Kevin Cooper. Another of the escaped convicts, though, Michael Martinez, was also found, and they also cleared him of any involvement. Excuse me. Okay, so this does this have anything to do? <laughs> well, there's so that was two. Yes. Now the third one, David Troutman, is the last one they're looking for. Yes. But you said Cooper. But Kevin Cooper's prints were the ones that were found at the house. Okay. So a warrant was issued for Kevin Cooper's arrest, and they also determined that David Troutman, the third escaped convict, was actually Kevin Cooper. They were one and the same. Oh. He was using an alias. Wow. Cooper had stolen the identification of a man, a real man named David Troutman, and he had been imprisoned under that name that he stole. Oh. Can you imagine being that guy? <laughs> Poor man. He's got like a prison record now. Oh my God. I mean, He's I'm sure, the it's, I'm sure it's got cleared and everything yeah, yeah, since yeah. then. But still at that time, like, I would have been you like, imagine? What? <laughs> so on June 9th, Kevin Cooper, they didn't find him yet, but he was charged with four counts of murder and one count of attempted murder based on his fingerprints being found in the vacant house mm-hmm. with the evidence. Like, and DNA does not lie. Well, not DNA, but fingerprints. Well, yeah. No. Like, yeah same thing. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> close enough. Right? It's in the vicinity. It's it has to do with the. It has to do with the body. It's forensic. It's body. Yeah. Stuff. So they also decide now that Cooper is the sole suspect and that he worked alone what? to commit the murders. They're like, never mind. We're not looking for three. We're just looking for the one. No. No, no. They decided. No, no. They decided. What did he do? Pull each one of them aside into a room and killed them and then laid that? Like, how? They were all in the same room, too. Yeah. And they were clearly killed there. Where this they guy stood. must have been like a trained martial arts ninja 
of the Black Knight. I don't know. (laughs) Like, (laughs) because to kill five people. Yeah. And not only that. Kill four and almost kill five. Well, yeah. Attempt one and the other one. Like, 47 stab wounds almost per person. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's... And three three different weapons. Three different weapons. That all include force. Not to mention the witness saying that there were three people. How how fit was this guy? In three separate interviews, the witness said it was three people who were white or Hispanic. Hmm. Kevin Cooper was black. (laughs) Okay, but it was nighttime. I will say that. So who knows? But it was night. It could he could have gotten confused. He also had major head injuries. That is true. And he was so eight who, years old. And who knows what his vision was like when all this was we happening? Don't know. Yeah. And trauma can definitely influence memory. So how much yes. do we know? Based on the witness, who knows? But it is fishy. It's very fishy. It seems convenient that they went from three to one. Yes. It almost sounds like laziness. Like we matched one fingerprint. Yep. Here we go. It's this black guy. Yeah, we got him. We got him. Well, here is what they found when they searched the vacant home that they found Cooper's fingerprints in. Yeah. They found a blood-stained rope in the closet of the bedroom. The rope was similar to another rope that was found in the Ryan driveway. Luminol testing seemed to indicate that there were bloody footprints in the hallway leading to the bedroom that Cooper used. And on the shower walls, there was also blood in this house. Hair similar to that of Jessica Ryan was found in the bathroom sink as well. And this house would come to be known as the hideout house, just so you know. So I'm going to okay. refer to it that way. Okay. This is the vacant house. Correct. That was used as a rental. Right. Okay. Exactly. So a hair removed from the bathroom shower in the hideout house was also similar to Douglas Ryan's hair. So they found hair similar to Jessica and they found hair similar to Doug. Okay. A hatchet that went missing from the hideout house was very similar to the hatchet that was found on the side of the road covered in blood. Hmm. The hatchet also contained blood and hairs that were consistent with that of Doug and Josh. And okay. keep, this is the 80s, so they don't have the DNA yeah. uh, capabilities yeah. at this point. A sheath was found on the floor near the bedroom where Cooper slept, as well as a buck knife, uh, an 11-inch hunting knife, and ice picks that were missing from the hideout house. The strap for a buck knife was found on the floor in the bedroom where Cooper slept in. Mm. So fishy very fishy the whole freaking sea is in there mm. <laughs> also uh a certain type of prison issued tobacco was found in the ryan's car and the bedroom that cooper stayed in. prison issued so it was made in the prison so it was given for free to prisoners okay and right. only to prisoners you couldn't buy you this couldn't elsewhere. Buy okay you're right it was just tobacco for prisoners the Ryan Station wagon was eventually found in a long beach parking lot so the manhunt is now on for kevin cooper they found that a hotel manager in Tijuana had checked Cooper in around 4 p.m. on June 5th and that he checked out on the 8th. And the hotel was about 100 miles south of Chino Hills. They learned that he had escaped from the prison on June 2nd and he had been in prison for two residential burglaries. And the year prior, he had been in Pennsylvania where he was suspected of raping a young girl. A few days after the murders, Cooper made friends with a couple in Mexico, and he took a boat trip with them up the coast of California, and then several weeks later, Cooper was found and arrested by Santa Barbara police after being accused of attempted rape by knife point on that boat. Dang, from Chino Hills all the way to Santa Barbara. From Chino to Tijuana to yes, Santa Barbara. that is what he... He was a traveling man. He took roads. <laughs> He was just... uh, He was all over the place. So they apprehended him as he tried to swim ashore. So he was like, fuck this. (laughs) He's like, I gotta get out of here somehow. Swim away. (laughs) Um, But they got him. Yeah. 
<laughs> they found several items on the boat that he was staying in, which had been taken from the vacant house near the Ryan. So they're like, oh. oh, yeah, you were there. Yes. So there was a search of the station wagon as well, where blood was found on three car seats. Not one. Three. Three, three car seats. Hmm. A second search revealed two cigarette butts that matched Cooper's DNA. Hmm. And they only found these cigarette butts on the second search, which one might think a person would find on the first search. Down the block from the house, a tan t-shirt was found, which had several spots of blood on it. It was determined to have blood from two people. One was Doug Ryan, and the second was an undetermined person, but the blood type did match Cooper's blood type. Oh. So it's not a DNA match, but it's like a blood type match. Okay. So it's a lot more like um, you're, you're, there's only however many blood types. Justin would probably know this. Justin. Eight. Oh. Okay. So you're more likely, like if you have a matching blood type with somebody else, it's not that crazy. It's not a DNA. Like it's no. a one in a billion chance. But that could it say guy. that they're like family? No. Oh, okay. So it's just blood type. So for okay. example, me and Blue have the exact same blood type. Oh, okay. Not related at all. I don't know what I am. <laughs> you don't know your blood type? Uh-uh. So they were able to determine the blood type, but not, not do a whole whose blood genetic is it? Yeah. DNA. It's the 80s. So. Yeah. Um, the San Bernardino police said, though, we have overwhelming evidence of Cooper's guilt. The footprints, the tobacco, the timing, the murder weapon, the missing ear. It's overwhelming. The missing, missing ear. Missing ear. The missing car. Oh, I was going to say, where did they find the ear? <laughs> <laughs> your was not missing it was there sorry so missing car everything is pointing towards pointing this to man him. yes yes but some could argue some of that evidence could have easily been planted and it, yeah to make it more convenient well it could have i mean the cigarette bugs, like you were saying didn't get right. fined the first time and found the second sketchy. time yeah mm-hmm. and so, i mean police aren't always the most trusting they're not people no. I mean, they're human, so, but at the same time, you know, you don't know, really know their motives. You don't know. You know, they could be being honest, but it's, there are a lot of, like, weird fishy things yeah. happening in this case. The biggest thing going from three assailants to, to one, one and deciding yeah. it's just this one black guy yeah. instead of three white men. Yeah. Like the like witness the vic- said. Yeah, the victim and witness said. Yes. That it was three, and now somehow it's one. Now it's just one, this yes. one black man well not only that like i said it the guy said it was all white men or possibly hispanic men right that's definitely light-skinned yes you know and i'm sure there was an option for i don't know yeah on the chart or i couldn't tell or yeah. whatever so he clearly he selected yeah so upon cooper's arrest he admitted to staying in the vacant home and in the ryan's home there was a massive amount of blood on the floor and all over the walls crime scene investigators found a drop of blood that did match cooper's blood type again but it was too small to determine if it was exact DNA match. Hmm. So on August 1st, Cooper was arraigned for the charges and he pleaded not guilty. The whole time he said he didn't do it. He had nothing to do with it. He wasn't there. He didn't nothing. partake. He doesn't nothing. know nothing about doesn't it. Doesn't know anything about no. it. Guilty. Innocent. After moving the trial 100 miles to San Francisco because of the amount of threats made against him and the significant racial tension building in the community, the trial began in September of 1984. Oh. So the community is largely white in Chino Hills. Okay. And the law enforcement, the DA, vast majority white. This was an it's affluent a, yeah. area and they got money not there. very diverse. Yeah. And so, you know, now they're convinced that this black man came in and brutally massacred four, almost five innocent people in their home. Yeah. For no apparent reason other than so, robbery. Right. So, so there's 
a lot of racism mm-hmm. happening because of this case. Yeah, definitely. And they trusted the police, you know. Yes. So in Josh's initial interviews, like we had talked about. Yeah. He said that the murders were perpetrated by three white or possibly Hispanic men. Never said anybody was black. But his statement would change. And it was going to become one person who was black. So the police and the DA's response. Wait, he changed his he statement? He changed his statement later. He's eight years old. Yes. Police. Possibly police influencing. Mm, very influencing. Very possible. Them putting questions into his mind. You well, know? Like, maybe you saw that he was right, actually maybe it was really in dark. Here. So police are saying that Cooper acted alone and killed the family to steal their car and money. That's the motive. Which it was the, just yeah. him. We're pinning it 100% on Kevin Even Cooper. Though there was three seats that were bloody. Uh, yeah. And five people that were attacked with yes. three different weapons. Yes. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about Kevin Cooper. All right, he Mr. Kevin. was adopted as a baby and suffered a very abusive and troubled childhood in Pennsylvania. Okay. He ran away from home at a very young age and later said that this was to escape from regular beatings he was getting. He got involved in shoplifting and marijuana charges. He never graduated from high school. And at one point he stole a car from a teenage girl. The girl interrupted him while he was stealing the car. And so he took the girl with him. He threatened that he would kill her, and she claims that he raped her, although he denies it. Okay. So that's so this the, was the girl. Yeah, the allegation came exactly. out. Okay. Cooper would also be arrested, charged, and convicted several times for theft-related offenses. He escaped from custody in, in Pennsylvania numerous times, and then he headed to California. And in California, he was arrested, charged, and sentenced to state prison for two counts of residential burglary. This is when he escaped from the prison, and it was just a couple days after this that the family was found murdered. Okay. He escaped from the prison by climbing through a hole in the fence. So when he escaped, initially he hid out in a lumber yard, and he waited for the sun to go down so that he could flee after dark. So when you said all three of the men escaped, did they escape together, or did he just see the hole and was like, ooh? I think three men independently saw the hole and and got the same idea. Yeah, because that's what it sounds like, because the other two guys were cleared. They were separated, right? And they were cleared, yes. They had alibis. They were not, you know, okay. They were nowhere near That makes sense. Okay, so it wasn't like a... It wasn't like they worked together. It wasn't like a team effort to to get out. Yeah, okay. Okay, so he hid out initially in a lumber yard and waited for the sun to go down so that he could flee after dark. He didn't want to be seen because he was wearing all of his prison garb. Yeah. And he looked like somebody that just walked out of prison because he was. Because he did. (laughs) Once it got dark, he went to Chino Hills and he found the vacant house. He decided to stay there and make it his hideout. And he did, you know, typical things that you do throughout the day. He used the restroom, took a shower. He did say that the first night he slept in one of the beds, but he was really paranoid that somebody would see him through a window. So he started sleeping inside the closet of one of the bedrooms. Hmm. While he was there, he found beer and other things to drink in the fridge. And he was just like hanging out. He was just making it at his home. Yeah. Right. This house is actually the nearest one to the Ryan to the Ryan house. From the room he was staying in, you could get a very good view of the Ryan home as well. Okay. So it's like the house is right outside the window. Yeah. The house had two telephones. And on June 3rd, Cooper called two of his friends, Yolanda Jackson and Diane Williams, separately asking them for, for money. He called them from the phone from, from the house. From the house. Okay. He called them separately asking for money. Okay. To, to help him get, get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. They both declined, but the phone records would later show that the first call lasted 110 minutes, starting just after midnight, 
and the second call only lasted four minutes uh, around 2 a.m. that same morning. Okay. I kind of wonder what they were talking about for that yeah. long. It's almost two hours. That is. Maybe they were catching up. Yeah. Yeah. But How the, was prison? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you get out? <laughs> right. So Cooper took the stand in his own defense, where he admitted to hiding out in the vacant house, but he adamantly denied committing the murders. He said that he was just, when he was there, he braided his hair, shaved his beard, made a few phone calls before heading to Mexico. He never went to the Ryans. That's all he did. Josh Ryan, the survivor, yeah. did not testify in court, but they did show a video of him being asked questions while with his grandma. This was now a year and a half after the murders, and Josh was asked if he saw anyone in the house that night that didn't belong there, and he responded, you can't really tell at night because it could be anyone. I saw almost like a shadow or something. So Josh no longer remembered seeing three white or Hispanic men. Now he's saying he just saw a shadow. It's very interesting that his story is changing because not only that, him changing his story it's almost, and like him not being able to testify. Yeah. It's almost like the cops don't trust him to testify. Right. So they're like, here, we're going to record it mm-hmm. so we can send exactly what we need you to say instead of being questioned. I mean, I don't know how old he is now. What? Eight, eight nine, ten? What? He's probably about 10. 10. So, I mean, it, it would be hard for a 10 year old to come in and testify, especially yes. with the man sitting right there. Yeah. I could see how it it could be very intimidating. And traumatizing. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it kind of feels like they didn't want him to testify because they were maybe nervous about what he could have said. I that don't might know. throw I mean, the case that would off. Just be speculation. Yeah. My best guess would be he's a child. Yeah. That he's makes 10, sense. Yeah. And I mean, how well is he really going to fare on a stand? Yeah. And do you really want to put Kevin Cooper's lawyer? Against him. Against a 10-year-old child yeah. victim. It's just, it's weird because there's some things that work against him and there's some things that don't. Like, you know, the like they would probably bring up like, well, why in the first interview, why did you say it was three white men and yes. all this stuff? So, yeah, right. I could so see we, how that could be. We're not going to get that yeah. from, yeah, the 10-year-old victim yeah. of like, yeah, the cross-examination. So we're it's just sort of like what they... Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a, I would probably a thought that mean, I had because yeah. it would make sense why they wouldn't want him to testify, especially if they're coercing right. him into making I would only things. hope, I, hopefully there was an agreement where if they were allowed to use his video evidence of him mm-hmm. answering questions in court, that it would be from an unbiased source. Like he went to a yes. social worker. He wasn't at a police station. Yeah. He went to a social worker where they asked him. Yeah. Not, not like it was the DA's office. Yeah, literally or, sitting there with three cops sitting around him. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah, like, that's what I would hope to. Like winking at him or who yeah. knows what. You know? A little nudge nudge. Like you get a little donut if you say yes. this one. Exactly. Don't get the donut if you don't say yeah. what I want you to Good say. Good cop, bad cop. <laughs> 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 donut, no donut. So I, I, I could see how that is a... Uh, an interesting little tidbit inside. So the detective who initially interviewed Josh said that it was possible that Josh may have been confusing the three Hispanic men who had stopped by the ranch earlier in the day to look for work. So he said maybe it could be like a memory jumbling. It could, yeah. Which is possible. The jury heard testimony from a total of 141 witnesses, and they were presented with 788 pieces of evidence throughout the three months that the trial lasted. So talk about a thorough... Big old yes, trial. this was very thorough. 148 witnesses 
141, wit- oh. 141 witnesses, 141. including Still. like pro- professional witnesses. Yeah. And 788, almost 800 pieces of evidence. Yeah. That's overwhelming. Yeah, so on yeah, February, that's a lot of information to cover. It's a lot. Yeah. So on February 18th, 1985, the jury returned with a verdict. He was found guilty on four counts of first degree murder and one count of attempted murder. On March 1st, it was determined that he be sentenced to death. Mary, Peggy Ooh. Ryan's mother, doesn't believe that a single person could have committed these murders. I, I'm very much on that as well. Yeah. I she, don't think... She's like, he, it probably was him. He was probably one of them. But she doesn't think that he did all three. It's because he ain't no snitch. She, well, she said, yeah, I, mean, I guess. <laughs> That's probably what it was. But well, anyway. and she said, and which is very true. She said she didn't believe that her family would just sit there all standing in a row waiting to be murdered. Exactly. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense why it wouldn't work out exactly with just one so there have been accusations that cooper received an inadequate defense as well as prosecutorial misconduct such as destruction of evidence withholding exculpatory evidence from the defense planting of evidence brainwashing to witnesses yeah and perjured testimony by the sheriff's department there have also been some practical questions raised such as how cooper who was 155 pounds allegedly acting alone overpowered a six foot two ex-military ex-marine, ex-marine yeah and, and his athletic wife both of whom had loaded firearms close at hand and it's been questioned why a single perpetrator would use three or four different weapons yes that's what i'm saying to commit the murders and why none of the victims were able to run away while the others were being attacked yeah that's a lot. It it is a lot, and it's for one for them to say one person did all of that, and that was the first time he had ever killed anybody. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, it's one thing to go around with a gun and go bang, bang, bang. Yeah, but when it's an an axe, a knife, an ice pick. Well, it's all physical things that you're doing. Right. So <laughs> Cooper's habeas corpus petitions have all been denied. The evidence in the case of the original trial has been reviewed by the California Supreme Court and the United States District Court and by the Ninth Court Circuit Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. Many people believe that Cooper is either innocent or only one of the assailants involved in this horrible killing. Yeah. Also I... worth noting, remember the tan t shirt that was found with blood on it? Yes. It was not prison issued. So and it and none of the owners from the hideout house recognized it. Is there any connection to Mr. Cooper and the family? No. Okay. Not at all. All right. So the owners of the hideout house also didn't recognize the t-shirt that was found with the blood on it, despite having identified a lot of other items of clothing that Cooper stole from the house. Okay. The social worker who interviewed Josh prior to the police questioning, the one who had him pointing at the charts, mm-hmm. stated at trial that Josh had not only identified three attackers, but specifically stated they were not Mexican or African-American, which contradicts, of course... The claim that Josh was confused on, you know, multiple murders. Yeah. And blonde hairs were found clutched in Jessica Ryan's hand. I hmm. think Kevin Cooper was not a blonde. No. Under oath, Dr. Ed Blake conceded that most of the hairs that were found were never tested. Why? By the time they were tested, they had like lost their, they were unable like to be DNA tested. DNA f- stuff or whatever well isn't um hair dna very iffy already from the from the beginning and it can be damaged easily and Mm -hmm. so well by the time they went to go and try to do it yeah it was too late yeah over the years the defense has raised the possibility that a man named lee furrow was the actual killer 
Judge mm. William Fletcher wrote that on June 9th, four days after the murders, a woman named Diane Roper called the sheriff's department to tell them that her boyfriend, Lee, had come home in the early hours of June 4th. He changed out of his overalls, which he left on the floor of a closet, and she reported that he was no longer wearing a tan T-shirt that he had been wearing earlier in the day. Mm. She noticed that the overalls were spattered with blood. But the sheriff's department never followed up, never tested the overalls for blood. And does he have any connection to the family? I don't remember. Okay. Maybe. It's just very odd that there's like no... It's like random. It's very random. And I mean, I get it. Robbery can be random. Yeah. But at the same time, it was a very personal Uh attack. So Diana later provided an affidavit stating that a bloody tan t-shirt found beside a road leading from the murder house was his shirt. So she saw the shirt and was like, that's his. And it was a Fruit of the Loom t-shirt with a breast pocket. And she said she recognized it because she bought it for him. Diana also stated that a bloody hatchet found beside a road leading from the murder house matched Furrow's hatchet that was now missing from her garage. Hmm. In 1977, Furrow also separately pled guilty to murdering in 74 on his boss's orders as part of a burglary cover-up. Okay. So he had murdered already Somebody. as yeah. well. And in Diane Roper's June 9th call, the initial call to the sheriff's department, she told them that when Lee Furrow had come home, he had arrived in an unfamiliar station wagon with some people who stayed in the car. A further investigation revealed that Lee Furrow's stepmother lived less than five miles from where the victim's station wagon was ultimately found abandoned. And they didn't look into this at all? No. According to <laughs> Cooper's attorneys, at least three witnesses have come forward saying that Furrow confessed to the killings and that they would be willing to testify under oath if called upon. So they're even saying that people like in prison where he is they're like they're like he confessed if we go to trial i'll go I will under be oath. there yes oh my god but furrow did provide his dna for testing and a law firm appointed by the governor of california gavin newsom reviewed the case and concluded that there was no dna evidence linking to lee furrow was he there was right? only dna man? yes there was mm-hmm. only evidence to there was dna evidence that pointed to kevin cooper that was it maybe he was more slick about it Maybe. I mean, who knows? There's so many little connecting dots. Right. It doesn't make any sense. But I wonder, like, could he have also been that same blood type of that mystery blood stain? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's just wild to me that they didn't look. There were so many things. His shirt. Yeah. His wife or girlfriend. They did say that the girlfriend was not necessarily the most reliable source. This could have been, they're saying, well, you know, she's saying all this because he broke up with her that night and she's just trying to get revenge and she had addiction issues and stuff like that. So they're trying, they've been trying to like. Kind of rule it out. Like, eh. well, discredit her. Yeah. So that is worth noting, Mm. but it is awful suspicious. It is, especially because of, you know, we're trying to say that it was one guy. Right. Clearly, it could easily have been this guy as well. Maybe if yes. we would have looked into it a little bit at the time. Exactly. But unfortunately, but when did she, you said she came out later, though. She like, called the police on June 9th. This happened on June 4th. Oh. She called just a few so days So she wouldn't later. have even, well, was the. It was big in the news. It was okay. I was going to say, maybe yeah. she didn't even know that the murder was going on. No, and then. She knew. 
Mm, okay. She knew. Okay. And unfortunately, there was no physical evidence that tied yeah. Lee Furrow to But if to there the was, boy. Boy, mm, oh boy. Oh my God. Shouting <laughs> to the heavens right now. I know. So here, I do want to end on some selections from Josh Ryan's more recent court statement. I think it's really important as the only victim that yeah. his voice be loud and clear and his opinions on it. So he gave this statement as an adult to the appeals court. And I do recommend you read through the entire statement because it is very moving, but I'm just going to read through a couple selections. Okay. He said, the first time I met Kevin Cooper, I was eight years old and he slit my throat. He hit me with a hatchet and put a hole in my skull. He stabbed me twice, which broke my ribs and collapsed one lung. I lived only because I stuck four fingers in my neck to slow the bleeding, but I was too weak to move. I laid there 11 hours looking at my mother, who was right beside me. After Cooper killed everyone and thought he had killed me, he went over to my sister and lifted her shirt and drew things on her stomach with a knife. Then he walked down the hallway, opened the refrigerator, and had a beer. I guess killing so many people can make a man thirsty. Every day, when I comb my hair, I feel the hole where he buried the hatchet into my head, and when I look in the mirror, I see the scar where he cut my throat from ear to ear. Every year I lose hearing in my left ear where he buried the knife. Kevin Cooper has movie stars and Jesse Jackson holding rallies for him, people carrying signs, lighting candles, saying prayers. To them and you, I say, I was eight when he slit my throat. It was dark and I couldn't see. Through the night, I laid there. Through the night and day, I laid there trying to get up and flee. He killed my mother, father, sister, friend, and started stalking me. I try to run and flee from him but cannot get away. While he demands petitions and claims some fresh absurdity, justice has no ear for me nor cares about my plight, while crowds pray for the killer and light candles in the night. To those who long for justice and love truth which sets men free, when you pray your prayers tonight, please remember me. So some powerful stuff and just I think a, a really important reminder that when we're petitioning for the release of prisoners, you know, if we think they're innocent mm-hmm. or not, it's really important to keep the victims in mind and keep them at the top of the priority list. Yes. Because of course that's going to be hugely traumatizing it is. for him to witness that. Yeah. When he feels like, when he believes that that, that was the man who the man did it, who murdered yes. his whole family and his friend. And he also said, and another, I didn't include it, but that he felt extremely guilty that it was his fault that his friend died. Yeah. Because he ins- he was so excited for, to invite him over for a sleepover yeah. and insisted that he come. Again, not his fault, but so, I can see where the survivor guilt. Of course. Yeah. So he was eight at the time. So. Right. I mean, come on. Yeah. So in 2001, Cooper became the first death row inmate in California to successfully request post-conviction DNA testing of evidence. The results of those DNA tests failed to exonerate him of the 1983 murders and, unfortunately for him, indicated that his DNA was present both at the crime scene and in the stolen station wagon and hairs found on three of the victims were most likely their own and no DNA belonging to other assailants was present. You can't fight that evidence, though. You can't. You cannot fight that. The I do not believe... Lie. And now that I've got all the facts and everything, I do not believe the man is innocent, but I do not think he acted alone. Alone. There's no way. There's no way. That, my friends, is the Chino Hills Massacre. Wow. I, you know, I've never, I, the names sound a little familiar, but I, if I did look into it, I didn't listen that well the first time I saw it, because I, a lot of this is new to me. Mm -hmm. Well, it happened a long time ago. But still, like, you said it was pretty big in the media. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, it he's still got, is and, controversial. He, and he's got what celebrities holding. Yep. Jesse Jackson. Yeah. And yeah. People are like petitioning for his uh, release. Which is wild to me because at the same time, it's like you guys did hear the evidence, right? Yeah. His stuff was there. Like his DNA was there. His fingerprints were there. Everything was there. He was at the house right, right next to the house that, you know. Yeah. But, and, you know, and it's but I do think it's understandable for people to see it and say, well, the cops just found the most nearby convenient criminal black man and just pinned it on him. It's, I think that's partially true, it, too. Yes. Uh, the, um, the cigarette butts are very interesting to think about because they didn't yeah. find that. You, you would search. think that would be the first thing they'd be like, oh, Right. Hello. Butts. Yeah. DNA. That's the first bing, thing. Bing, boom. Like, yeah. of course. That's like yeah. gold for them. How could but they at the same time, it's just like, that? you know, I, I really did. Th- I My opinion. There's still a lot of evidence. Yeah. There's, there's still, still a lot of evidence, evidence against him. And, yeah. you know, his fingerprints didn't just get there. Right. So not unless he tried to break into that house first. Well, the fingerprints were at the hideout house. At the end of the day, I my opinion on it now that you've given me all the facts and everything, I do yeah. not think the man acted alone. Yeah. I don't think he's the most innocent. He's already, I mean, they already said that he has committed murder. He has a history. Yeah. Not murder. Not murder. He it never was a murder? committed murder. Oh, I thought it was murder. No. Sorry. Lee Furrows was the murder. Yes. One. Oh, yes, 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 no, yes. Kevin yes. Cooper, okay. it was just burglary. Oh, okay. And a burglar, a burglar, a burglar. Is not the same as a murderer. No, it's not. No. They're very different things. They're there for a motive. But also, too, this guy had so much against him. Yeah. He had a lot against him. And he was a home. Like, he did home invasions. Yeah. And, you know, you have to imagine, like, there's always a home invasion. A home invasion. And, yeah, you're, like, surprised by people that you're probably going to show up armed. Yeah. I would imagine. I don't know. But, again, the three weapons he had, it just... Right. All the evidence is pointing towards, yes, maybe he did do it, but there's no way in hell somebody did this by themselves. There's definitely pieces of the puzzle. Missing. Not unless he was like a, like I said, a ninja and was right. able to, you know. Grow a few more arms. And I don't just know. Like it's just, flail around it's, it's, with... it's very complicated. It is a complicated one. It is a complicated one. one. But there's no, I don't know. I think that we don't know the whole He's not going to talk. No, he's clearly. not going to talk. He's still he's sitting there being, I'm innocent. He's I only innocent. made a couple phone calls at the house next yeah, door. Exactly. That's it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's not going to rat on anybody. No. So if you would like to give back, I recommend donating money or goods to Remember, who works with the Oglala Lakota Nation on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. They're doing amazing work for the indigenous community. So head over to remember.org. I couldn't find a charity relevant to this story. Sorry, That's guys. okay. These guys are just, I mean, always, always to the indigenous. They deserve more. Yeah. Every time. Thank you for listening. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Rolling in the Dark Pod or send us your case suggestions to Rolling in the Dark Pod at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. As always, our sources for the story are in the show notes. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. We love you guys. Sorry, this one was dark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, we're rolling on out. Rolling out.